audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, church. Well, I'm glad to be back this week. Um, And I missed you guys. I really did last week. Last week, I had the opportunity to preach at a, uh, a good friend of mine's church. Um, I've known him for several years, and uh, it's called Skybridge Community Church. I had to share this, though, because I was so encouraged. Is I got to be with a like-minded church, and it just reminded me that we're not alone. So we pray a lot here for the church, we, our heart is to see the church grow in our city, grow in health, grow in number, grow in our ability to proclaim the gospel. We, we pray this all the time. And last week, the reason I want to share this is because I got to see fruit of that prayer. And I got to uh, see some answered prayer. He's doing a work in our city. He's doing a work in our church, and he's doing a work in churches across across our city who uh, simply rely on the proclamation of the gospel. It was, it, was, it was a great week. I left encouraged and I left wanting to get back and, and um, get back to work. And so I was encouraged and I love the fact that it's almost like God knows what he's doing. And it's almost like his timing is perfect because as uh, we have been walking through our text in Second Peter, We've been uh, looking at the church as a whole. We've been looking at attacks from within the church. Attacks that are coming within. We've been looking at the enemy's plans. We've been uh, looking at his plans to come against the church. And, that, and over the last, the past couple weeks, we've been reminded that the Lord is building the church. And what the Lord is building, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we are, it's incredible to see that. So as we dive back into our text and as we unpack it even more, I would just like for us to stop for a moment before we, we dig in. And I'd just like for us to start our time praying for the church. Praying for its health. Praying for its unity. Praying for perseverance like to pray for the church as we are on our mission here, specifically in our city. So before we turn our hearts to the text, would you join me and let's pray together. Lord, we come specifically this morning. Before we, we, we dig into your word, we come and we pray for your body, your bride, the church. We thank you for like-minded churches like Skybridge. We thank you for what you're doing in different areas completely of our city. We thank you that we are not alone, and we thank you that we have been told that you love the church more than we do, that you are building the church, and that what you build, nothing can tear down. And so right now we come to you and we pray for health, we pray for vitality, we pray for faithfulness, we pray for perseverance, that you will be honored and glorified through your people in our city, in our community. And we give you the glory for that and we thank you that we're able to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. 
All right, church, if you do have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Turn with me to 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 or scroll with me. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one right around you. Just, just grab that. We're going to pick, pick up right where we left off. And I wanted to start by just way of reminder of where we are. Uh, Peter wrote this letter to the church, not one specific church, but to the church. In fact, as we've said, in a very literal sense, you and I, we are the intended audience of this letter. He wrote this letter to the church from the time of the apostles until the time when Jesus comes back. So if you are in that time period, this is this is who Peter, you are who Peter had in mind for this, for this letter. And, and Peter is, is writing this letter to the, this church who are facing attacks. A face, facing attacks from the inside and the outside. If there's one thing the enemy wants to do, it's to try to attack the very thing, the people, the very thing that God loves so much that he sent his son to die for. If the enemy can succeed in attacking that, it's a good day. And his tactics have not changed. It's, it's to attack the very heart of God himself, his, his church. So he's writing, Peter is writing this letter to prepare the church, to uh, equip the church to be able to handle these kind of attacks, to stay faithful. And there's two really important things that I want us to remember before we get to our verse. Uh, one, there are two kinds of attacks. There's the attack from the outside. That's the persecution, the pressure that, that, the, that you get from the community, the culture around you. And two, there's the attacks from within. The attacks that come from in the church that seek to cripple and divide the church from within, that seek to take the focus off of Christ, off of the gospel, and onto anything else. And in this letter, Peter is dealing with that second kind of attack. He is looking specifically at the attack that comes from within, and he calls it the secret attack. And Peter writes this letter so that we will be fully aware that this is going on. The second thing that I want us to see here is that Peter wrote this letter with urgency. Uh, urgency, not only because the attack is serious, which it was, but because Peter knew he was not going to be there for long. He knew his time was short. He knew his life was about to be taken. He knew he was not going to be around forever, and it wasn't just him. He knew that the apostles were all facing martyrdom for what they were doing and for, for their belief in Christ. He knew that the time was coming when the apostles were not going to be around anymore. And what happens then? What happens when the people who walked alongside of Jesus while he was here, hearing everything and learning from him, what happens when they're no more? How is the church going to function? How is the church going to be protected? What happens then? Peter is writing this letter with that question in mind. What happens when you can't just go grab an apostle and ask him? So Peter, as, we, as we've seen, Peter's plan that he lays out is to direct us to Scripture, to the trustworthiness of Scripture. And that's exactly what we saw in chapter 1, pointing us to Scripture. Um, and then in chapter 2, we see a distinct switch. The tone changed. 
and it becomes a bit of a warning chapter. We're right in the middle of this now. Now, as I said, um, Peter's deeply concerned about the attack from within, and here in chapter 2, Peter is describing the attack. Here's what it looks like. Here's what you can do to spot it. Here's what the attackers are wearing. Here's what their hair looks like, right? Here's what they're looking to do. He's, he's describing the attack. Here is the game plan so that the church can be on guard and be alert. And that's what we're going to pick up in verse 10. In verse 10, we read, bold and willful. Not timid and accidental, but bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, we could really get into the weeds here. Because as we read this, we really don't have um, specifically the, the, what Peter is addressing specifically. We don't know. What we do know is that these false teachers were speaking out against angels, against spiritual warfare, against the spiritual. They were speaking out against the supernatural. We don't know how they were doing this, but we do know that they were doing this. They were blaspheming the angels. Not only were they speaking out against the supernatural, speaking out with things they don't know. But they were doing so, as I said, boldly and willfully. They were claiming authority for things, claiming to know things, claiming to know about things that they did not know. And they were doing it boldly. And listen, um, this is subtle. Follow with me. Listen to the rebuke that Peter gives here. Um, Verse 10, you guys are blaspheming angels, speaking against them, speaking things you don't know. Then verse 11, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, right? So angels who are greater in power and might, greater than you, they do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. In other words, even though the angels are greater in power and might to issue judgment, they're not even doing what these false teachers who don't know what they're doing are doing. Does that make sense? Probably not, but follow with me. Verse 12, but these, that is the false teachers within the church, listen to this, these like irrational animals... Creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Don't pass, don't miss this. Don't miss what Peter's doing here. Um, these false teachers were speaking about things that they don't know, acting like they do know, acting like they have greater might and greater power than even the angels, when in fact, Peter says, you're acting like an irrational animal. You see the subtle way he puts them in their place. See, you think you're here, you're acting like you're here, and you are here. You are here. It, 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 it's like he reminds them of how foolish that they are being. You are living as though you know more than what you, sh you, you know, when in reality you are living into less than who God created you to be. It's a subtle not so subtle rebuke here. It is Peter putting these false teachers into their, into their place and reminding the church, don't you dare be allured away from the gospel by that. These false teachers who are speaking, they're, they're speaking things they don't know. And so Peter says, they are blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. 
will also be destroyed in their destruction. Verse 13, suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. In other words, there's going to be a judgment for all this madness. God cares when his church is attacked. When it's attacked from the inside, there will be judgment against those who mislead, against those who would attack the church from within. There will be a judgment. Now, Peter is going to make a little bit of a shift. And I see this section as a little bit like one of those old-time Western wanted ads. Like wanted, dead or alive, right? Just a wanted ad where you describe who you're looking for. That's kind of what Peter is doing here. He's painting a picture of the individuals who are wreaking havoc from the inside of of this church so that the church can spot it. So that the church can see and understand as it is happening. So he paints this picture. Here's his wanted poster. Verse 13. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes revealing or reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Let me just point something out here. Even in the pagan world, Generally, when you practice deceitful things, you do it in the cover of darkness. Not these people. They were without shame. They would attack boldly in broad daylight. They would snuggle up to you around your dinner table and subtly just speak heresy into your life. They would deceive the church in broad daylight around good food and good conversation. Many commentators uh, see this as as even a reference to the communion table. So they don't come in the darkness of night. No, that would be an obvious attack, right? We're getting attacked, and it's the middle of the night. No, they come to the dinner table. They come to the communion table. They come in secret. They wait until the guard comes down, and it's just friends, and it's just family. Remember, this is an attack from within. And it's at this moment that the secret attack comes, and they reveal their deception. More than that, verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Literally, this is translated as their eyes are full of an adulterous woman. The problem is not that they had noticed a beautiful woman. The problem was not that this sin was slowly creeping in. No, the problem is that their eyes were full. And it was normal for people to be objectified. And this was the sin at the center of their attack. And through this descript, uh, deception, Peter says, this is, this is key. Look at, the, look at these, these four words. They entice unsteady souls. They entice unsteady souls. What a statement. What a heartbreaking statement. The church is the place, should be the place, where people can come to be loved and directed to the truth. It should be, we should be, the place where broken people, unsteady people, lost people, blind, the sick, where, we, where the weak come. The church should be the place for the unsteady people to come, to be loved and protected and led to the truth of Jesus. And here, the unsteady were being exploited, enticed and abused. Church, look out if, the, if we ever stop being the safe place for unsteady souls, for the broken, the lost, the hurt, the sick, the confused, the questioning. If we, it's heartbreaking if, if the unsteady 
were coming to our church in order to be targets. And that's what was going on here, to be exploited and enticed. It's heartbreaking. And Peter says in verse 14, they have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. And now Peter compares them to an interesting, humorous little story of Balaam. And certainly not a flattering comparison. Um, they have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey, there's that irrational animal, speechless donkey spoke with the human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now you can read, if you haven't read it in a while, if you've never read it, Balaam's story is in the book of Numbers 22 through 24. Um, but this story of Balaam just beautifully illustrates Peter's point. Balaam, who was supposed to be a prophet for God, he was supposed to be God's man, the one who would speak, the leader of the people, speaking on behalf of God himself, trusted by the people, an insider, right? That was Balaam. However, we read that he loved money more than God. And we read how he pursued fame, how he pursued fortune instead of obeying God, instead of fulfilling his role as the prophet of God, instead of serving the people of God well, instead he sought personal gain. And in this story, God gets his attention through a donkey. Don't miss it. The powerful prophet of God, mighty and powerful, that prophet was rebuked by a donkey. That is a wee bit humbling. And Peter has accused these false prophet, prophets of acting like irrational animals. Now Peter is reminding him that God will even use an irrational animal if he needs to, to get your attention, to bring you back. This donkey is rebuking this prophet. And it just reflects the foolishness of Balaam. And it also reflects, don't miss it, the foolishness of these false teachers. God takes it seriously when his people are deceived and the weak are exploited, the unsteady are misled, God will be the judge. And as I, we've said this throughout this time in this letter, but there's nothing new under the sun. The enemy doesn't need any new tricks up his sleeve because these are effective. It's amazing how, how history just repeats himself and how the enemy's attacks are simply repackaged in a different individual. But the intent is the same, to attack the people of God from within, to feast on the weak, to profit from the unsteady to attack the souls that Jesus came to save and to enslave the souls that Jesus came to set free. We see this with Balaam, and the attack was continuing on in Peter's time and church. The attack continues on in the church today. Don't be fooled. The spirit of Balaam is alive and well in the church today. False teachers that that. Peter warned us against, they're still alive and they're still active in the church today. And I want to give you an example. I want to give you an example, an obvious attack from within. Now, obviously, this is not the only attack from within, but this is one prominent attack that has absolutely plagued the church over the last 40 years. 
Let me give you an example of the spirit of Balaam that is alive and active in the church today. It goes by the name of prosperity theology, prosperity gospel. If you aren't familiar with the term, there are several prophets of this uh, alive and well today. But to sum it up this, uh, like this, it's the belief among some Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. And that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, he will deliver security and prosperity to humans. So Robert Tilton um, coined, tried to sum that up, what I just read, into a term called the law of compensation. According to this law, and with Matthew 10, um, 30 in mind, Christians should give generously to others because when they do, God gives back more in return. And in turn, that leads to this crazy cycle of prosperity where you keep giving and keep getting more and keep giving and keep getting more and this ever-increasing prosperity. Let me give you a tangible example of this nonsense, this law in action. This is a direct quote from a book called God's Will is Prosperity by Gloria Copeland. It says, you give $1 for the gospel's sake and $100 belongs to you. You give $10 and you will receive $1,000. Give $1,000 and you'll receive $100,000. Give one airplane and receive 100 times the value of that airplane. Give one car and the return would furnish you a lifetime of cars. In short, Mark 10.30 is a very good deal, end quote. Now that should make us cringe Jesus taught his disciples to give, hoping for nothing in return. We're reminded of Jesus' teaching of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, where, where Jesus instructs his disciples to give with no expectation of what is to come. See, the, the critical problem is our motive for giving. The gospel does not say give because you will get a great return. The gospel says give because you have been given much through Jesus. Bless not to be blessed, but bless because you are blessed. Give not to get, but give because of love. And so here's what happens. The teachers of this doctrine, the teachers of this false and distorted doctrine, appeal to our desire to have more. Appeal to our desire to prosper in this life. And they say, if you want that, you just need to give and often that's accompanied with, here is the address where you can send your financial contributions, knowing that for every check you send, you are going to receive it back tenfold. Church, that is greed. That is an outright exploitation of the church, and that's outright abuse of unsteady souls. It's, it's heartbreaking because I, I think of the, the people who maybe are in a place where like, you know what, I'm at the end. Maybe I'll give this Jesus thing a try to turn on the TV and to be abused. Do you see the way the truth is being distorted? The gospel is no longer about the goodness of Jesus. It's about the goodness of using Jesus to get material things. 
The prosperity gospel turns our good and wonderful Savior into a divine ATM machine, a cosmic genie, like he's a means to another end. Our Savior is not a means to any other end. He is the end. Our greatest joy is Jesus, to know him and to be known by him forever. Our joy is knowing that we are his forever. The gospel is not to come to Jesus and to use Jesus to get material things. The call of the gospel is to come to Jesus, get Jesus now, and get Jesus forevermore. That is the call of the gospel. Prosperity gospel is a terrible attack from within. It has led thousands of people and thousands of souls in the church away. It's heartbreaking, and it's just Balaam repackaged and redelivered in the modern context. Peter writes this, and he calls us to not be deceived, but to be alert, to be cautious, and to be on guard. There is nothing new under the sun. The enemy is still on the prowl, and he's seeking to attack the church from outside and from within. This is still the enemy's plan. You and I are still the enemy's target, and your enemy is not on vacation. As Peter calls us, be alert. He's giving us this wanted poster saying, look out for this. Be on the look for this. Here is what your attackers look like, and here is what your attackers are looking to do. So be on guard. And the way we do this is on two fronts. We're going to end with this this morning, but theology matters. In other words, what you believe about God truly does matter. You're never going to convince me otherwise. I have heard some say that they avoid theology because it divides. Doctrine divides, as it is said. And yes, it does. It divides truth from lie. It does. It absolutely does. It divides what is true about our God and what is false about our God. Theology matters deeply. It changes everything. The question is whether or not you, is not whether or not you are a theologian. It's whether or not you're a good one, a faithful one a true one. Theology matters. And because theology matters, here's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. Theology must be studied and enjoyed personally and affirmed and celebrated collectively. Theology must be studied and enjoyed personally and affirmed and celebrated collectively. So let's start with that first statement. It must be studied and enjoyed personally. Church, take ownership for what you believe. Take ownership for what you believe about the most important things in life, about God himself. Study him like it matters, because it does. Theology has this way of changing everything. Bad theology has this way of changing everything. To have a misunderstanding about our God will have terrible consequences in this life and eternity to come. And now, we understand that we are finite and we cannot possibly wrap our minds around our God. We get that. We know that. We understand that. We understand our understanding will always come short. We get that. We know that. But we devote ourselves all the same to knowing 
as much as we can about him. Praise God that he is a God who says, here, know me, know who I am, know who I am. Praise God for that. And now we get the privilege of knowing our God. Do you take that responsibility? Do you study the truth? And are you enjoying Christ? I was reading a proverb this week, and it just stopped me. And after I read it, I just had to stop and say, yep, that's it. Proverbs 133. God's word says this, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Here's the truth. The attackers from within the church, who do they target? The unsteady souls. They target those who are not anchored in the truth of the gospel and the truth of who our God is. That's the target. In other words, the greed of the attackers is seeking to exploit those who are not steady or anchored to the truth of God. And the more unsteady the individual is, the more vulnerable that individual is, the more prone that that person is to the attacks of the enemy. But our proverb says, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Whoever listens to the word of the Lord, the word of God, knows the word, the truth of God, will dwell secure, safe, and steady, at ease, without any fear of disaster. Praise God for that. Theology must be studied and enjoyed personally. And as we do that, unsteady souls become steady. The vulnerable become impenetrable. And we dwell safe and secure in the truth of our God. Now, I want to give you some resources because a lot of, of people have, have come to me and asked, how can we do this? How can we grow in this? And um, I, brought a, I brought some books with me, and I want to give them away not like right now, I'm not going to throw them or anything, but come see me. Um, these are great books. This is uh, Christian Beliefs by Wayne Grudem's, the first one I brought. It covers, it, look, that's short, right? That's thin. You got this. It just covers the basics of the Christian faith in a way that is basically a gateway for you to study more. Uh, it's a phenomenal book. I have three copies that I'd love to give away. I'm going to have them with me. I want to give them all away. Please come at the end of the service. Um, the second one is um, not as thin, but it's okay. Um, 50 Core Truths of the Christian Faith. Uh, this is a, a great book by Greg Allison um, that's going to, and it comes with a little bit of, of, material for you to kind of, like a study guide for you to continue on in your study. It's a great book. Um, it's a little bit thicker, great resource. I only have two of these to give away. They're great tools. Please come see me. If I go home with five books, I'm going to be upset. Come, come take these. Um, theology must be studied and enjoyed personally. We own this. And, and the next is theology must be affirmed and celebrated collectively. Theology is best done in community. Iron sharpening iron. Truth being confirmed. The truth of God being affirmed as we come together around God's word. It's a beautiful thing. And it protects us from being led astray. Um, if you have not experienced that before, I have a shameless plug. I have no shame in plugging what I'm about to plug. You need to sign up and get in a community group. 
Um, we have several meetings all throughout the week. Try one. Our groups are about to really start to pick up because the dreaded summer is over. Fall's coming. I love fall. Pumpkins, right? And, and it's coming. It's coming. So our groups are about to pick up and about to start a new semester. This is a great time to jump in. Listen, we are far less vulnerable when we are not alone. A lonely soldier is a vulnerable soldier. We are far less vulnerable when we have each other's backs and when we're in relationship with each other, affirming truth and in each other's lives. And, and celebrating the truth together. This is the joy of the church, the joy you cannot get anywhere else. We celebrate the truth together. We stood together, we sang the Apostles' Creed, then we said the Apostles' Creed. We literally came together this morning. And we said, this is what we believe together. We stand on and we celebrate this together. That is beautiful. We celebrate the truth of our God collectively and what he has done, guarding our hearts against the attacks of the enemy. Peter says, be on guard. The enemy is going to attack from within. So church, we study and we enjoy theology personally and we affirm and we celebrate our theology collectively. And in doing so, we stand on the truth of Proverbs 133 that says, whoever listens to me, the church that listens to me, the people that listens to me, the community who listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we stop and, and first we just... We just realize that we wouldn't know anything about you apart from you revealing yourself to us. We thank you that you're a God who revealed yourself to us. We thank you that we can know you. We thank you that we can know for sure that we know you. We thank you that we don't have to guess. We thank you that we don't have to fill in the dots. We thank you that we have your word that reveals who you are, your character, to us. We thank you how accessible it is to us. We thank you for this, Lord. What a privilege that we have, that we can know you. Not just know about you, but know you. That Not just hear about you secondhand, but to know you. We can know you, and we thank you that you are a God who is knowable. And Lord, for everyone in this room, regardless of where we are in our walk with Jesus, I pray that we can grow in our ability to do that. For those in this room who are questioning, don't know where you stand, there's doubt, there's struggle right now, Lord. For everyone here that might be in that place, would you show yourself faithful would you allow this place to be a safe place for unsteady souls? Would you point us to your truth and who you are? That we would grow, that we'd be anchored in you, that we would respond to the gospel. God, for everyone here who is 
who is struggling in our walk. God, would you just strengthen? Be the strength for the weak this morning. God, we pray specifically for our church that you would help us to protect ourselves from the enemy's attacks. Whether that be attacks from out there or whether that be attacks from within. Lord, would you help us to be wise, kind, loving, and bold. Together, would you help us to care more about each other than we do for ourselves? Would you help us to bear with one another's burdens? Would you help us that we may love each other well and hold each other up for the glory of God? Would you help us? And help us as we seek to protect ourselves until the day you return. The day, Jesus, that you call us home. And until that day, we stand on the fact that we are saved by grace through faith alone. We stand on the fact that we can know you, be known by you, and walk in joy from this day and forevermore. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.